Consider this. Your worst employee probably has more contact with your guests than you ever will. So we're talking about that busboy, right? The one who's always late, who comes in looking disheveled, who's always sort of rude and gruff with the guests. That guy is the one you've put in charge of executing the hospitality in your restaurant, of executing your vision. We've put that person in charge of taking care of your guests. And if that frightens you, if that horrifies you, then good, let this be a wake-up call. We have to reimagine, rethink the way that we connect with our people, the way we hire, train, and manage our people. On today's episode, I'm talking with Jordan Bush. He's the founder of Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a software that allows you to schedule and communicate with your teams. It's not just a, it's not just a bag of features, though. It is, a, it is a way of rethinking how we connect with our people. We get into a really great conversation on today's episode, Don't Go anywhere. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. Tuning in, my name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast dedicated entirely to the hospitality industry. We cover marketing, operations, everything in between. Each week, I leverage my 20 plus years in the industry to help you build a more profitable and sustainable business. I also work directly with operators all over the world through my group coaching programs to address and overcome the specific challenges we face in our industry. Curious to learn more? Set up a free 45-minute strategy session at restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Let me show you how simple it can be to run a profitable restaurant. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, you'll find that link in the show notes. Now, we all know managing costs is one of the most important parts of running a profitable restaurant, especially now. But between fluctuating vendor prices, waste, labor, and the never-ending list of tasks that demand your attention on a daily basis, it can be challenging for even the most experienced of us to manage costs well. That's where Margin Edge comes in. Margin Edge is a complete restaurant management software that automatically uses data from your POS and invoices to show you your food and labor costs in real time. Don't wait until it's too late. Margin Edge gives you tools to make decisions in the moment, like a daily P&L, price alerts on key ingredients, and real time plate costs, all without ever having to touch a spreadsheet. Take control of your costs, work more efficiently, and be more profitable. Learn more at marginedge.com slash chip. As always, that link is in the show notes. So my guest on today's show is a guy named Jordan Bush. He is the founder and CEO of a company called Seven Shifts. That might sound familiar because they've uh, been one of the sponsors of this show for a while now, uh, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of things today, uh, including the product and sort of Jordan's take on the industry. Uh, but first, let me welcome to the show. Jordan, welcome. Thanks for having me. I want to start off uh, at the beginning because people might have heard us talk about seven shifts. They might have heard me talking about seven shifts, but uh, I want to start off right at the top. Just tell me 
what is Seven Shifts? What does it do? And then I want to go back and get into the history of how it became, because I think that story is really interesting. But just nuts and bolts, what is, what is Seven Shifts? Yeah, so Seven Shifts is a uh, team management platform focused on the hospitality industry. So I, I would say at its core, scheduling and communication are very rooted in the the, um, the the early days of seven shifts and kind of what it, what people know us for today. A lot of things around compliance, budgeting from the, the operator end, but then on the worker end, be able to <clears throat> check your shifts on your phone, trade shifts with your coworkers, um, you know, communication, really kind of seeing it as more of an engagement hub um, to bridge between the managers and the workers with that centered piece around labor. Which is huge, and we'll get into all the all the nitty gritty here. But uh, one of the reasons uh, why the restaurant industry is so challenging is because labor uh, is such a big piece of our expenses. Uh, so this is a tool that helps you manage that. And like you said, right, uh, years ago, I can, I can remember uh, starting at my first restaurant twenty two years ago, something like that. Um, and it was just the schedule gets posted in the back and that's it. And shift swaps have got to be done in a binder that live in an office that most uh, most servers or bartenders really never have the time to get to. It's sort of clumsy. And so seven shifts in a lot of ways helps to solve uh, two of those friction points. Yes, exactly. I think at the, the most simplest level, absolutely. Um, I also think that there is a mounting amount of concern around just compliance issues, especially in the New York area, California as well, a bunch of other states that are kind of rolling out variations of these things. And so now more than ever, um, you know, it's sad, it's sad, really, honestly, for an industry that's hurting so much to be riddled with all of these new regulations around restaurateurs that are just kind of making it a little bit more challenging to, to operate. So we try and solve for a lot of those pain points as well and be a little bit more proactive as it relates to helping managers um, stay compliant. Yeah. And I want to get, I want to circle back and touch on some of the things you just talked about here, but I want to sort of warm up into it. And I want to go back all the way to the beginning because uh, you come from a hospitality family. And so where where did you get I know the the genesis of this piece of software really was rooted in what you saw with uh, with your dad and, and your parents and sort of the businesses that they run. So so take us back there and, and sort of ground us in that reality, if you can. Yeah. So my dad ran some some quick service restaurants. So did my grandparents. And I worked for my dad and you know, just as a, you know, kind of a, I was making subs really for my dad. And I got to witness firsthand what it was like to watch him try and manage staff and do all the scheduling and the communication. And amongst all of the other things a restaurant operator it has to do, which is, you know, deal with customers, you know, cleaning things, there's inspections, there's all sorts of things going on. And so, really thinking through first and foremost, how could I help my dad with this, these challenges that I'm seeing him go through. And so I was learning the code at the time. And I thought, you know, maybe I could build something small and rudimentary to try and help him with this pain point around scheduling and make it a bit easier for him. And so I ended up building something early days, which was really, really small and rudimentary where he just took his spreadsheet and uploaded it through this upload tool I made. And 
all the staff would log into this website and they would download the spreadsheet. So this was like, you know, the alpha of most alphas, right? Uh, to, to kind of bring yeah, a sure. true spreadsheet online. And what that did though, was it allowed him to kind of solve some of those pain points of getting the schedule out to folks. Um, but then it started my curiosity and, and interest down this path of really building out more functions to help him. So. In the meantime, I worked as a software engineer at a number of different agencies and, and did some work on other products and platforms. But Seven just was kind of this fun project off to the side that I just I, I'd finish my job and I'd go home and I'd work on Seven Shifts because the learning that it gave me and that experience was just so exciting. And, and I was building something that someone else was using and found value in. And then more and more folks started to sign up for Seven Shifts um, just kind of on their own. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to say it was kind of like it hit an inflection point where I was, I was like, great, I can quit my job and do this full time. And, you know, that that, be, that began my, my journey into doing this full time and making it a much bigger and more successful business. Yeah. OK, so uh, you skipped over, I think, some interesting things. Um, and it's my job to make sure to take us back, um, as my brother would say. And I've said this uh, on the show before and listeners uh, will know this. But my brother always uh, my brother's a screenwriter and a comic out in Los Angeles. And so he listens to all these podcasts uh, with with comics and, and screenwriters and actors and all that. And he says and they're always like, yeah, and I'm doing this. And then, you know, one thing led to another. And then I got my agent. And that's how I got X, Y and Z. And he says, no, I want to know the one thing that led to another. Like, that's the interesting stuff that like, that's where I am right now. You know, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I feel really good about the work I'm doing. Yeah. Um, you just skipped over the best part, uh, at least so far. So I want to take us back. Um, you started writing this program basically to scratch an itch that you had or scratch an itch that you felt your dad's business had. Um, how did you talk to me about the iterative process and you put something out that you said was, uh, you know, alpha, alpha, you know, that was, you know, just as basic as it could be. How did you improve upon that? And at what point did other people start using it? And how did that, how did that happen? Were you knocking on doors? Were you calling? Did it just, uh, you know, get passed around organically? Talk, talk to me about that time. Yeah. Yeah, there, you're, you're right. There is some funny stories within this uh, as the iterative process went. Obviously, spent more time trying to build this into something that was that was going to be valuable to others. And yeah, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of like not going out with friends, just kind of sitting there on my computer hacking away. And, you know, getting I remember moments where you got ended up wiring up um, the first text message as a schedule was published and getting the text on my, you know, slide phone or whatever it was. Yeah. Like, it was just kind of like, I don't even remember what brand it was, but man, it was old school, like T9. Um, anyway, so those were like really exciting moments for me. But as I started to get some traction, just by releasing it to the world on a sevenches.com URL, I thought, well, this would be a great opportunity to kind of go door to door and see if folks are interested in this solution. Now, the only problem was I didn't have a laptop at the time and I was building this on a, on a desktop and obviously now everyone's got a laptop, but at the time for sure. it was like, I can't carry around my desktop to, you know, a restaurant. Um, I'd look like an absolute lunatic. And so I, what I did though, which was also looking back, feels like it was a bit of like a lunatic like thing, but printing off papers and 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 designs of what it looked like if you were to use it and i actually yeah. went 
um, I actually went to a few restaurants and saying like, hey, can I speak with your manager or IT person? And I would have a stapled together bunch of screenshots of the yeah. app in action. I would just flip through them and I'd say, and then when you publish the schedule and then you do this and then I'd turn the page and I'd be like, and then if you want to trade a shift, he does this. And like, um, you know, that was the most offline kind of thing that, you know, at the time felt like the, the only thing I could have done to kind of sell yeah. this product. And I was, I was totally unsuccessful at doing that, by the way. There was like, people would look at them and they're like, oh, you know what, I'll come back later. And you know, this isn't really a priority for me. And I would get like one, one out of 15 people I would talk to would maybe say to come back. And then the rest were like, like, you know, this is, what are you doing? This is nothing. I don't need this. Yeah. Like get a, get out of like kind of kid. I'm trying to run a business here. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, in the beginning, right. You're both product, your product, your sales and your marketing. Um, yeah. but you knew that you, you knew that there was a problem that needed to be solved. You, you had seen that firsthand. So then when did you start getting traction? Even at this early stage, when did it start turning? When did it start? Um, you know, I would say we, I was by myself by when we, when we actually, when it made enough money where I could do it full time. But I also was kind of bored of doing it by myself, which I did for a few months. I missed that high collaborative environment with a team and where you're bouncing ideas around and you're, you're solving things in real time and you're shipping new product to the customers and you're seeing the delight that they have from using that new product. And so I managed to convince a few co-founders, one being my wife, to join me to move to the Bay Area. And, you know, this is where all these tech companies are, are seeing success. And I was like, you know what, we could, we could really learn a lot, I feel. And, and um, so we decided to do that. And like two other co-founders quit their jobs, cushy full-time jobs. We moved to the Bay Area with a bit of money. And uh, we, we spent some time there, but we, at the time we weren't focused only on hospitality. So what this did, what this taught us was kind of being around all these teams is us coming to this realization that, you know, do we want to build a product that's just kind of the jack of all master of none, or do we want to really be the category leader for hospitality? And yeah. I think that was a really yeah. exciting moment for me personally. I think it was a bit scary for my co-founders, but because it meant isolating two thirds of our existing customers that were not restaurant or hospitality related companies yeah and you know you're like a construction company you visit the website and all of a sudden there's a like a bartender on the front of the homepage. you're like what like this is this is not yeah, yeah. this is not me <laughs> and i don't resonate with but this. this is the same <laughs> this is the same piece of advice that i give to uh to restaurant owners all the time one of the things that i think uh, our industry uh, and again, I've been in this industry for more than 20 years. One thing it suffers from is that we get, uh, you know, I ask, hey, who's your restaurant for? And invariably they say, everyone, everyone would love my restaurant. And that might be true. Everyone might love your restaurant, but it's not for everyone, right? I always say it's people who can't afford your restaurant, people who can't uh, easily get to your restaurant, people who don't like what you serve. You, you take a huge part of the population out. And I think... Um, I think you figure out who your restaurant is for by first figuring out who your restaurant is not for. And I think you're sort of sort of echoing a, a similar sentiment here. You figure out you know, who the product is not for, uh, and that helps you get to, to who it is for. And then you start solving uh, things in a very specific way, I imagine, when you, start, uh, when you don't have to try and serve other audiences. You just serve this one specific, you know, the, the restaurant audience. Um, it starts focusing the product, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. I think... Um 
it took us some time to really find product market fit for restaurants, but it meant we could focus on integrating with the right partners right at the get-go. So we focused on integrating with top point of sale uh, restaurants for point of sale, um, or sorry, point of sales for restaurants. Uh, we started focusing on payroll providers that were used in restaurants. We started focusing on, mm-hmm. you know, X, what name X, Y, and Z vendor. We, we, we focused on them. And what that did was it had this virtuous cycle of bringing other restaurants to us that found that value. And as soon as those restaurants and those operators saw that the, these, these pieces integrated well together and gave me tons of value, they would tell their other restaurant friends. And so really having that focus while it took a little while to kind of get the wheels spinning, it helped us make decisions. And I think that's ultimately what you want. You want to, you want a vision, a clear path of what you're building, because if you don't have a vision, your customer, your, your customers will shape your vision for you. And I don't, I don't necessarily believe that that's the right path. I think that they should influence you know, your, your vision to some degree and have input in, in parts that are important to get there. But ultimately, you're kind of defining where you want this to go. So talk to me because you have, um, you're in a really cool position to be able to peek behind the curtain um, of a lot of different businesses. I, I've said this on the show before. Um, I, I've got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of people, uh, a lot of guests who are in that position. And I think to the audience that listens to this, um, that's very appealing to them. So talk to me a little bit and uh, not necessarily just through the lens of the pandemic, but as you look across at a lot of specifically independent operators here, the ones that are really thriving, that are really succeeding, what is it that they all have in common? And then I want you to ask, answer the, the alternate side. The restaurants that you see that are struggling, what is it that you think they all have in common? I think to my first point, you called it out, the restaurants that we see are succeeding, um, first of all, I'll call out that you know, the retention metrics for people on the Seven Chefs platform are like two to three times better than industry norm. I'm not saying that's because of Seven Chefs. I'm just saying I will call out that it so happens that I believe that some of the most savviest operators are using technology, um, first and foremost. Okay. Um, but I will say that we are, some of the things that we're seeing about some of the most successful restaurateurs is they're focused. They have they have an idea, they have a niche kind of segment, and they're just doubling and tripling down on it because they understand what they are. And by understanding what you are, you understand what you're not. And you're defining that much to your point earlier. Um, I will also say that by defining that, you start to attract a certain type of individual to your company. And I think that, you know, this this to me is is more about the culture of that restaurant and what it stands for, what it means. And so I think that they're by saying what they are, not just by saying what they are, they're not just saying we serve this type of food. They may be saying, here's what we believe in. Here's our mission as a business. And this is what we stand for in the world. And it, it may sound hokey to some, but I think that this is this, this aspect of meaning is so important to the, majority of restaurant workers which are teenagers and and the younger generation like the gen z folks so i think that um we're seeing a a big focus on culture we're seeing a big focus on um, clarity around certain types of learnings that they're going to get out of their experience while working at the restaurant because i do believe there's so much to learn in hospitality 
And I think that it's a great foundation that you could take with you to so many other opportunities should you decide to leave the industry or stay in it. Um, and I also think that, you know, pay is also a big part of it. Um, I think if you, if you look at one of the blog posts we did on one of the top three reasons that employees quit a restaurant job, if you were under the age of 25, the top reason was lack of pay. The second reason was flexibility in your work schedule. And the third one was, I'm going back to school. Mm-hmm. Um, if you looked at people over the age of 25 in our survey results, the number one reason was pay, again. The second one was flexibility in their schedule, again. The third one was different because they're not going back to school. It was lack of recognition um, by their manager or promotions mm. within the industry. So I think if you just look at those those like core areas, I think great restaurateurs have really honed in on those and made those differentiators for themselves and have potentially made it easier for them to recruit in the industry. And I would say the, the some folks that are finding it challenging in today's environment, I would say are doing none of those things. Okay. <laughs> uh, and and or or have been reluctant to adopt some of these things that they're potentially being outcompeted on. I love that. I think so. it's really. I think it's really insightful. Um, I would agree with you. There's something. You're in the people bit. We're all in the people business, whether we realize it or not. Mm-hmm. And you've built a piece of software that helps people manage people so that they can more effectively take care of people. Um, which that that's what our industry is. It's a it's a it's a people business. Um, what I think is really interesting about our business is that we get. I'm just going to bifurcate things and say half the people in our industry really want to be there. They're passionate. They're driven. They went to school for it. They work their way up. They want to be there. But the other half of the people who work in our industry just stumbled into it. They're students. They're uh, actors. They're musicians. They're uh, they're dancers. They're creatives. They're uh, working moms, they're working dads, they're working this as a second job to make extra money on top of their other job. Like, this is not where they want to be. It is a means to an end. And I think that's really interesting because certainly that exists in other industries. But I don't think with as great of um, it's in such a stark relief uh, to each other that half the people are, are so um, are, are so hell-bent on joining this, and the other half really couldn't care less. And and I don't know what to do with that, uh, but that has to be acknowledged and addressed in order for us to sort of get better at what we do in our industry. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think there are cert- there is certainly a sentiment about working in this industry and it being kind of a, you know, just a, kind of small stepping stone of a job and very temporary. And I think though the, the problem is like rooted deep more deeply um, than anything. And I, I think that, I don't know how much time we have here, Chip, to really dive into the <laughs> how, how hospitality is perceived, but there are reasons why it's perceived this way. And I think like, you know, I think if you were to look and say, how is a bartender or, or server perceived in Europe versus how they're perceived in America, I think you would say that's it's pretty different. Sure. And I think there's a whole host of underlying issues um, in terms of, you know, if the goal is that they are per, uh, um, perceived as a professional, if that's the goal, 
there's a lot of things that need to change to kind of make it so. Uh, but if but if but if look if people are saying look this is just kind of a small stepping stone of a job and that's how it's perceived and that's how it's always going to be, then we're going to have we're going to have continue to have a lot of the same problems. Uh, I don't have the answer, but I think that there's there's some big challenges here. Today's episode of Restaurant Strategy is also brought to you by Seven Chefs. Seven Chefs is a team management platform built specifically for restaurants. Great restaurants are built by great teams, and Seven Shifts is your secret weapon to better understand your restaurant, hit labor targets, and keep your entire team connected. With drag-and-drop scheduling, in-app communication, task management, tip management, and more, it makes restaurant work a lot easier. From back of the house to front of house, managers, franchise owners, and large corporate teams, Seven Shifts has benefits at every single level. Plus, it integrates with the other systems your restaurant already uses, like POS and payroll. Turn your team into your competitive advantage. Restaurant Strategy Podcast listeners also get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash restaurant strategy. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash restaurant strategy to get three months absolutely free and join over 30,000 restaurants currently using seven shifts today. Yeah. So why do you, why do you think that is? I mean, certainly culturally, right? Like in Europe, I mean, in France, for example, like service industry is the majority, right? It's like 85% of their GDP is, is tied up in service. And, and that's certainly different here um, based on agriculture and manufacturing, even all the jobs that we've lost. It's still a big part of, of what we do that services uh, part of our economy, but not, um, you know, not as not the backbone of the way it is in France and other European countries. But but it goes deeper than that. And I, I think I think you believe that. So w- what is it? I think it honestly, you know, I, I think it, it really dates back to, um, you know, post-Civil War, honestly, when you look at like history and you look at the history of like even tipping culture. Right. And like to, 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 to understand that, like, you know, there were, there were folks that were, were kind of coming out of like this terrible time in, in the slave trade and, and actually like not getting paid anything, but they were encouraged to patrons were encouraged to tip them. And this notion of a tip was abolished and then it came back. And, you know, now States have kind of like this, I think it's about half the States in the U S right now that have the tipped credit rate where, you know, you make a couple bucks an hour and your tips get you to the federal minimum wage. And then whatever you make extra is kind of gravy on top of that. And so I think this notion of like the consumer, you know, fronting the cost for an employer's worker is a very, I think it's kind of problematic <laughs> to be honest. I think it's, I don't disagree. I, I think it's problematic. And I think that, um, that's that is a that is a massive shift to try and change and i know there's a ma- very smart people far smarter and more intelligent more experienced than i feel like i am <laughs> in this space that have tried that right danny meyer tried that um sure. to kind of abolish you know the, the, the tip and and they kind of reintroduced it during the pandemic <clears throat> i'm not saying it's all because of that but i just think uh, i think that, that there's some kind of roots there that have been you know, are deeply seated that are very hard to change. And I think that, um, 
it's just one aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, really what you're talking about, and we're, we're talking around it, this has to do with status, right? That, that for whatever reason, a lot of service industry jobs are seen as lower status, right? Because, probably because, maybe in large or small part, that our, the patrons have the power there. They get to determine how much their servers make in a given, on a given shift. Um, I determined they were worth 15%. They were worth 20%. They were worth 5%. They weren't worth anything. It's, it's a status thing that, that we're waiting, that we as a, as a service professional are waiting for them to, to determine what sort of lifestyle, what sort of lifestyle we have. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's pretty backwards. Um, and I think that, you know, you, you certainly don't, you know, go to, you don't get your oil changed and like give a tip for the person that's changing your oil in your car. You don't, you don't go get your, your stuff dry cleaned and like, yep. you know, rely on tipping. Like there's, there's all these things that are, that you don't tip for. And I think that the service industry, everyone's just kind of like, well, it's always, it's just always been like that. And, um, you know, look, while seven shifts, the company that I am a part of, you know, we have solutions for tip management and tip distribution, and all of that, that we, you know, we try and solve these for ultimately, like we're, we're building solutions for things that are, um, I think that are just, um, you know, more symptomatic for kind of the, the, the deeper issues that we have in the perception around hospitality workers. But I think, I think, again, it comes back to, is, is this something that, you know, it, people want to solve and, and, and what type of resources, should we rally around solving yes. this? Because it's so a huge problem. The again, back to this like survey, right? Pay and flexibility were number one and number two, both for you know young and older uh, employees. And then it was, uh, I want to go back to school, or I'm going to go do pursue something else that I really want to be doing. And then for the other half, it was that uh, I just didn't feel um, noticed, appreciated, acknowledged in in my work. I didn't get promotions. I didn't. Um, I didn't feel whatever that that supported or whatever, however you want to, however you want to do that, which is so telling, which goes back to, you know, the way we manage. And I want to use this to sort of circle back to some of the tools that Seven Shifts has. But um, I always say that uh, that nobody, very rarely do people teach restaurant managers how to manage. I always say most uh, people become restaurant managers. Uh, there's a guy named Ken McGarry who wrote a really great book called The Surprise Restaurant Manager. I had him on the show, and he just talks about uh, his experience uh, managing restaurants for the first time. He was mm -hmm. like just the longest tenured person who hung around, and the manager no-showed. And so it's like, hey, kid, do you want to be the manager today? Great, oh, congratulations. Yeah. You're now the manager. <laughs> yeah. And, and they don't have any of the tools to figure out how to speak to people. So when you talk yeah. about, hey, I didn't feel appreciated or acknowledged or supported by my uh, by my supervisor, it's because they weren't given the tools, they weren't taught how to acknowledge, uh, appreciate, or show support for the people below. And, and it's, a, it's a perpetuating issue that goes on and on and on. Yeah, I mean, that old saying, if you don't quit your job, you quit your boss. Like, it's true in yeah. every single industry. Yeah. And I don't know a single industry it's not true. And if you are if you are if you have a bad manager, you are going to be out the door getting another restaurant job, you know, <laughs> very fast. And so yeah. to not identify these folks that could be great managers and then give them the tools to be even more successful is a huge yeah. miss. I think that um, 
given that the industry employs the highest number of teenagers out of any private industry, and these managers are likely the youngest managers, and it's their first time job managing a person in their work history, that and so I think that for us, and, and a big reason why Danny Meyer and the team invested in Seven Shifts was because the, the angle that we've taken around team management and, and, and labor more broadly is that you can't get anywhere without a great team. And how do you, and how you build your team is important. How you continue to engage with your team is important. And so what does it mean to, and what does engagement mean? And uh, let's, un, like, let's unpack that. You know, is it, is it someone that shows up on time? Do they pick up just for other people? Are they communicating frequently through the mobile apps? Are they, are they going above and beyond? And being able to kind of understand that and also understand when someone's one foot out the door. And it's so, it's so um, mind-boggling at times to say that, to, to see that, look, a lot of these folks just would like to give feedback as well and to not provide a framework to, to give them to get to receive feedback is a big miss on on any businesses and not just not just restaurants. But I think when we when we built the product, like shift feedback was a, a large part of it. And now restaurant operators are saying, oh, my God, like this store, all the shift feedback and the sentiment was very low and turnover was the highest. And so they got rid of a bad manager hire and all the scores went back up and guess what? So did sales. So the impacts of a bad manager hire have a direct correlation to revenue and how successful you are at running your business. Yeah. It's so interesting. So talk to me about that tool. So how do you keep tabs with your team on a shift to shift or weekly basis? So there's a few things that we, we kind of look at. Um, the engaged dashboard within seven shifts is really, um, looking at who your most engaged folks are and who are becoming less engaged over time. Hmm. And the way we think about that, it's using some qualitative and quantitative data. You know, who sh when you started at seven shifts, or sorry, when you started at that restaurant, were you showing up on time? Did you work all your shifts? Did you pick up just for other people? Communication, availability, uh, submissions? Like, was that all done in a timely fashion? And now is there a severe divergence from what that what your norm was and are you even saying qualitatively in your shift feedback that you're having a negative experience after you work your shifts and if so we're saying look that's someone that you should just talk to and we're not even saying like get ready they're leaving like that's not what this is for it's to say hey chip how are things going and like having a very real human conversation as a manager, you, like you said it earlier, they just don't even have these tools. But frankly, a lot of it just comes down to having a conversation and, and asking for feedback and asking how your team is doing and what you can help with and how to make, make their experience better. And we're basically saying, here's, here's a tool where we can help identify folks that you should chat with. But realistically, you should just be having ongoing conversations with your team. That's right. Because the cost of, of replacing team members is thousands of dollars and tens of thousands if you get into the manager realm. So it's not a nothing cost if you lose someone that's really, really great and experienced. Yeah. So one of the things that I believe about managers is that, and I, I sort of preempted this a, a second ago, but um, they're just not taught how to manage. That they're given the keys, they you know they come in, unlock the door, turn on the lights, check everybody in, get the side worksheets ready, um, do comps and voids throughout the shift, and deal with customer complaints, and then check everybody out, do the bank drop, turn out the lights, lock the door, and they go home. Mm -hmm. 
And while everything I just described is something that's required of restaurant managers, we need people to do all of those things. I believe that's only really 20% of their job. And what is now uh, the majority of their job um, really should only be about 20%. Because really what a manager should do is manage the profitability of the restaurant. You know, without, <laughs> it's that Milton Friedman thing, right? The the, the point of a, a firm is to, uh, is to increase shareholder value. So, I believe that the reason a business exists is to turn profit. Um, everything we do, we serve great food in the hopes that people love our great food and come back because all of that helps us be more profitable. We have great service so people feel welcome, that they'll tell other people, and hey, this is a great place to go to feel welcome, and, and that will grow. Everything we do, while I want to do uh, provide great food and great service, um, it's all in the service of profit. And not enough managers are really taught um, how to arrive at profit uh, in a restaurant, and it's uh, it's unique. It's more unique than in uh, most other industries, and they're not taught how what they can. They're not taught what they can do on a daily base uh, daily basis in the moment to affect to affect the profitability. And this goes back to what Seven Shifts does, which is why I think it's such a compelling solution. In that labor is one of our biggest, if not our biggest, uh, expenses. Um, over the course of any given period. And most managers, and I was sort of guilty of this uh, in my first couple management jobs, most managers aren't taught how to manage for that. I was taught how to manage for that by building an old school spreadsheet right. where I went in and put in everybody's rate and I was able to create columns for people's overtime rate and I was able to build formulas that would tally up at the end of the day and the end of the week. So I knew because I was shown not my first job, not my second management job, in my third management job. That's the first time I was shown actually how to manage by the numbers, that we've got projections and therefore we've got a labor yeah. budget. This is where, this is all we can spend. If we're gonna hit what we project, we can't spend any more than this. So you're either under budget or over budget. Talk a little bit about how Seven Shifts helps managers do that because I think it is one of uh, one of the most compelling pieces of the software. Yeah, so when you use Seven Shifts, you have a budget tool at the bottom of the schedules page. So whether you budget uh, and set goals around labor percentage, sales per labor hour, guest counts, transaction items, you know, whatever your goal is, you kind of set that. And we use projections our, our projections are formed from historical sales during that same period last year you know we kind of look for outliers and um, kind of have like a smoothing algorithm using some machine learning where we kind of track that and project it out um, and then after that after you successfully publish your schedule you as a manager now have the seven just app on the floor and um, you're basically you're basically saying, okay, you know, here's what I set up. I published the schedule a few days ago. I know what my goals are for the week and day. And now the manager is kind of managing to the daily flow of what's going on in the business. If you're over or under your targets, you'll be alerted. Um, or sorry, if you're if you're drastically under, you know, that's a sign that something an anomaly happened. You may need to cut some folks. Mm -hmm. um, ideally, that you know, ideally you don't. But that's kind of where the alerts come in, and also. In real time, if someone hasn't taken their break and you're in California and there's a compliance violation, you know, you need to make sure that employee waived that and signed off on that if they're not going to take their break. But all of these types of things that are kind of on the floor management are really critical that Seven Shifts helps solve for. I, I love it so much. Um, I, I can't 
state enough how big of a deal that is. The the fact that there's in built into the program is something that will give you projections based on historical data of some sort, which is huge. One of the big things, right? So I deal with a lot of uh, a lot of restaurants and a lot of struggling restaurants. First thing I say is, okay, great. Print, let me see your PNL for the last three months. That'll give us a start. So many people don't have a PNL, right? Okay, we got to get a PNL. But the PNL just tells you what happened. And the other piece to that is building a pro forma, a, a projection, right? A, an estimated guess of what's going to happen in the future based on what we know about the past. And the next thing that I always hear from people, I say, you need a PNL and you need pro forma every single month. Now the pro forma can be bare bones, back of the napkin, just basics, how much revenue do we think we're gonna do? And basically then where do we need our labor to come in at? But you need that tool so you can uh, so you can manage in real time going forward instead of looking back at a period and, and just trying to, I mean, we've all been in these manager meetings, right? Where somebody says, well, what happened here? Well, I don't know, I mean, it rained that weekend. It really, you know, sort of put a damper on our business. Everyone's trying to guess as to why you didn't hit projections. But when you make a projection, then you know, moving forward, where it should be. And then you can set, again, your budget for, uh, in this case, labor. You can also set your budget for all kinds of other things. I know I have clients who I've gotten onto uh, seven shifts, and what's great is that they use the projections because they're so good, and they use them to make decisions about um, about ordering, about uh, how to keep their cogs in line, things like that, because it's all the same thing. I always, I always say a restaurant is more like a factory than we like to believe. Um, but we need to, you know, we need to make X number of revenue. And if we're going to hit X number of revenue, we need 30% of X for COGS, 30% of X to be labor, whatever that formula is in order for us to be profitable. There's too many times we go to the end of the month, we say, oh, oh, let's see, were we profitable or not? And restaurants should know in real time whether they're on target to be profitable and how much profit they're on target to hit at any point yeah. during the month. Yeah, agreed. So I want to... I mean, I want to step out here. I mean, that's I can't I can't stress enough what a big deal that is. What a big deal that's just baked into the program. And again, you build a schedule, and you know immediately whether it's on paper at least under budget or over budget. Um, talk to me about some of the other things that the software does that I haven't that we haven't highlighted yet. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we kind of cut across what we refer to as the employee life cycle. So the way that we define that at seven shifts is everything from the moment uh, a restaurant worker is hired and they're trained or you know, scheduled at a similar time and they're paid after they work their shifts, then they're effectively retained until they quit or are terminated. So hiring, training, scheduling, paying and retaining. So we tend to build products across this life cycle that solve these needs around team management. So we have kind of a lightweight hiring product. We're uh, just in the process of rolling out onboarding, which is kind of a prerequisite to, you know, then, you know, if someone's hired, you got to onboard them and get all those tax forms. And then once they're, they work their shifts, you pay them using a payroll company typically. So we integrate with a lot of payroll companies um, as well. But I think, you know, what's more recent as it relates to that pay pillar in the employee life cycle, to what we've been working on recently is a lot of stuff around tip management and tip pooling and tip payouts. Um, we've been spending the 
last year and a half building our tip management product and just kind of covering all these crazy edge cases on how people do tip pooling and um and ensuring that we can just output okay here's what everyone should get paid at the end of the night and the last mile for that that we're excited to release within um you know to a smaller group in the next month here it's uh tip payouts so getting those tips sent instantly to the bank accounts of these workers and so we've seen some really great retention numbers um, as it relates to earned wage access getting folks paid earlier um, upwards of 76 percent so we're kind of interested in helping operators retain staff for as long as possible and if if these are things that help them retain staff and some of their top talent then we should be building those solutions for them so i think these are big focuses for the company, um, and uh, and and also look the labor compliance side is a big part of what we try and solve for. So, whether you're an SMB or a multi-unit brand, there are some compliance regulations you need to adhere to, and so making sure that it's very turnkey for operators to say like, "Here's my jurisdiction I'm in," and we say, "Boom, here are all the configurations around, you know, and and rules that you need to enable to make." just basically to stay in compliant but you know aside from that very very straightforward simple product uh, around shift management trading shifts um, approving time off all that good stuff is kind of baked into it and um, a really big selling point for seven shifts has always been the adoption employees love it managers love it if one of those parties didn't adopt the tool it doesn't work right so we have to focus on that simplicity aspect at our core there are things that you do that are just baked into this product that uh, when I was a manager, my very first management job was a service director. Second management job was service director. Third one was an AGM. And those are all sort of like personnel positions. And like, you know, just the time it would take to figure out a tip pool, the time it would take to do a schedule and make sure that it was that it was under budget. Um all of these different, you know, all of these different pieces, not even to talk about sort of the um, uh, sort of like the governmental like uh, alignment, making sure you're, uh, you know, you're following the the law, uh, which is a, which is a whole other piece that you guys have just, you know, taken off the table. Just, you know, let us worry about that. Um, I, I can't impress upon uh, people enough just how much uh, time I spent doing that when I was managing. And most people listening here will know it takes you X number of hours to do all of these things. And the fact that um, all these things are done. And if there's things uh, and if there's things that you've put off, like building projections so that you can give your service director a budget or your uh, executive chef a budget for the kitchen, you know, where the kitchen labor needs to be at. All this stuff is there. It's just done for you, which I think is um, a really exciting place for our industry to finally be at. Yeah, yeah, totally. Talk to me. We've got a few minutes left, and I just want to I want to get your take on the industry. And I said we would circle back to this, and I want to circle back to this. And you talked about um, how tech adoption is one thing that you're seeing uh, a lot of successful restaurateurs, restaurant groups, operators do. So to talk to me a little bit about that, because everybody here listening um, has heard, oh, you need tech. Oh, you need tech. I talk about tech. I, I travel all over the world speaking at big expos and conferences, talking all about uh, the intersection of hospitality and tech. It's a, it's a lot of what I talk about, so I believe it. But I want to hear your perspective on it. It's a bit of a double-edged sword. I think there, there's a lot. I mean, the pandemic even prior to the pandemic there were a lot of hospitality companies being started and 
the adoption of hospitality and new technology that came out during the pandemic centered around ordering, it just further fragmented the amount of technology that is in this space today. And I actually think that there, the, the restaurant operators had been, I feel like without good technology for a very long time, and then all of a sudden just got punched in the face with a ton of restaurant technology. And, yep. and where I think the challenge lies is, yes, you should always kind of consider streamlining and adopting new technology, but I don't know if people truly understand how to think about what type of technology to adopt and how it should integrate and, and what core pieces and aspects does it solve for the business. And so that's why you see some people saying, oh, for, you know, hiring, I use this tool. For payroll, I use this tool. For um, team communication, I use this tool. And they were sold three different things. And I don't think that's the fault of necessarily um, the operator. That, that may very well be the only things that were available at the time. But I think that as we've matured, I think we're going to see more folks um, more clearly defining what they're good at and, and kind of by doing that, saying what they're not going to be. You know, we're, we don't claim to be accounting and inventory. And we say team management. And, like, this is how we define it. And I think that mm -hmm. we need to um, – the, the, the rate in which te technology is being innovated on in restaurants is great, but I also think companies need to do a better job of explaining really what they're kind of doing long-term. And I also think that restaurant operators should really think through what does it mean to have that integrate and what kind of value am I going to drive from it? Because just saying we integrate, like – dig deeper what does that mean how is it beneficial to me because there's so many folks that adopt tools and go oh they said it integrated but it didn't help them in any way shape or form with their true yeah, problem yeah. <laughs> and so i think that i i just think that there's still an opportunity here and uh operators deserve better and we're we're at seven shifts we're trying to make that a real very seamless as it relates to team management and be really clear about what we do but i also think the broader restaurant technology landscape could do a better job as well yeah i you know and i think the one thing I'd push back on you, yes, I think that the tech space, uh, I think the vendors, so to speak, can do a better job. But I really think that operators and owners have to take ownership of this. And one of the things that I coach on a lot, um, something that was pounded into me at business school was you get better answers by asking better questions. And I think um, a theory I've adopted from my own work is this idea of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We don't do anything that's not tethered to a problem. We get really good at identifying problems and then we set goals, right? We don't do anything to solve a problem that isn't attached to a goal, mm -hmm. right? And then we put a system into place for getting us from problem space to goal space, right? $2,000 revenue on Monday night is not good enough. $3,000 is our break even. Well, now we got a problem and a goal. What are we gonna do now to get us from point A to point B? Um, and I think if operators just got really almost mechanical about that, about looking around and identifying your problems and then prioritizing those problems, because at any given point in time, you get 20, 30, 40 quote unquote problems. But if we can get really good at identifying problems, really good at them prioritizing them and setting goals for that, well then we could put a plan into place. The plan in so many of these places are these, uh, are these solutions, are these tech solutions. That will tell you what you need to be looking for this is our problem is there something out there that will help us solve this problem right if we've got we've got a retention problem we've got a we've got a labor cost problem we've got a great 
there's seven shifts is a solution to that problem. But you have to be able to take a step back and say, this is a problem. And then look at the marketplace and say, great, what out there exists to help solve this problem? And then go find the best choice for that one. And I really wish operators uh, and owners would get better at that process. Yeah. And if you could just get really good at that, you'd get really good at finding solutions and, and creating better, more profitable restaurants. Yeah, totally agree. No, you make a good call up. I agree. Jordan, uh, I've appreciated your time. I know you got a hard stop and trying to be really, really respectful of that. Uh, and I would keep going on and on and on. And who knows, maybe we'll have you back. I very much would look forward uh, to that because there's always more to talk about. I'm sure there's more on the roadmap that we didn't get to talk about, but I'll leave that dangling because maybe it's something cool we can talk about as you come back. Um, I want to know uh, quick uh, words of wisdom for the audience. Um what uh, what words of wisdom do you have to share with an audience of operators and owners who have been to hell and back again these last, uh, I don't know, two, two and a half years? I really wish and hope that <clears throat> operators spend more time learning about what their, what makes their staff tick. I think that's really important and just giving that feedback. I, I think I've, I've spoken to so many operators lately where, you know, I put someone into a management position and then they left three months later. I said, well, you know, did you ask them why? Well, no. Well, did you ask them if they wanted to be in the manager position? Well, no, I just assume that. Well, I, I don't know. I think that, you know, anytime someone starts at a business, understanding their aspirations might give you an indication of how long they're going to be there with you for. And getting that and having it on the table will help you run your business more predictably. And so I just think, you know, being having and being more in tune with your people around how they're feeling, what they want out of their learning with your place of business. And, um, and you can also tell them what you expect. I think it's a two way street, but I also think that, um, we just need to be more mindful and, and thoughtful and ask those questions and get that feedback in. I couldn't agree more. I think the, the more, the, the better we get at realizing that personal goals and professional goals for all of us are tethered to each other. And, you know, we work a job to provide a roof over our head, put food on the table, pay for a car, put kids through college, you know, a job helps us achieve things personally. Um, and those are, those are tethered. And, and if we can get better at figuring out how the professional helps support the personal, I think the person will stay with us longer. Um, we're going to include the link, obviously, in the show notes for people to go learn more, set up a demo for Seven Shifts. If you are not familiar with the uh, software, if you haven't gone through a demo, go through the demo. All it takes, all it is, is time out of your day um, to learn uh, to learn all the ins and outs of this software. Uh, I love I love going through tech demos to really see what's out there and what this stuff can do. What else? Uh, any final words? Anything else you want to say about the the platform, the software? Anything else uh, you'd like people to know about Seven Shifts? Yeah, I mean, like if you if you want to try out a simple, easy to use product that you know gets out of your way as it relates to trying to manage your team and, and is you know enjoyable to use check us out um you know we really are in the business of just making things simpler and easier for for operators like yourself so sevenshifts.com check it out yeah for sure listen jordan i appreciate you being here to all the uh the listeners out there appreciate you taking time to uh, to sit and listen and learn the best part about having these guests on is that they get to peek behind a lot of different curtains um and i appreciate uh jordan all the insights you shared and of course the perspective you bring to the table appreciate you being here thanks Jim. great chatting thank you
Once again, I want to thank Jordan for uh, not only taking time out of his day to chat with us, but also for Seven Shifts uh, and their support of this podcast. Uh, I love what they do. I love being able to support them, and I love that they're able to support us. All the links we talk about are in the show notes. Uh, If you want to go take an hour out of your day and go schedule a demo, it is a solid piece of software that does everything it's supposed to do and much, much more. I love what Seven Shifts is doing, and I'm thrilled to be able to sit and chat with Jordan today. Hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. Appreciate you all being here. I will see you next time.